Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Shep Maher, EVP of Worldwide Sales for BetterWorks. I first met Shep when we were both on a panel at a sales hacker event, and I was super impressed with his, with his approach to leading sales teams, but I was even more impressed with his humble approach and how it made him so easy to listen to. His team at BetterWorks is having tremendous success helping create cultures of continuous coaching and development and meaningful, transformative business outcomes around the world. His commitment to coaching, learning, and teaching shows up really fast, and as a result, he's had a huge impact with the companies he's worked with, the customers he's engaged, but more important, the people he's met along the way. I am super excited to have Shep join us on the show. Shep, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us. Rob, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I remember that panel. Uh, the panel was awesome, but the best part, I think, was just us ripping on coaching, you know, uh, <laughs> before and after the session. So really, really a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. No, man, I'm, I'm excited. Since we, since we did that, I'd like, okay, there's another coaching guy. And so I want to talk a lot of shop today. We don't often get to have someone that's as geeked up about coaching as I am. And so I, yeah. I, we'll find out who's more passionate about it today. But I want to start by having you introduce us to BetterWorks. You know, we got a lot of a lot of people listening around the world. Uh, introduce BetterWorks and, and what you guys do for your customers. Yeah, look, in in a nutshell, here at BetterWorks, we believe passionately that the company's most valuable assets are uh, its people, right? And, and it's funny because I think that has become almost like cliche or tagline right now. Companies will say, "Oh, our people are our most important asset." But then if you're a person actually working there, you know, uh, according to Deloitte, if you believe some of these surveys that are out there, 75 or 80% of the people uh, in the working world today have no idea how their work actually impacts the company's outcomes. Wow. They have no idea. They're cranking away. They're working super, super hard. Uh, but they have no idea how the work that they're doing actually impacts what the business is driving for. They might not even know what the business is driving for. They just know they're working really hard. Um, so what we built is a platform that combines a couple of things. One is really great talent development um, and performance management capabilities that are really set up for today's day and age, along with clear what we call agile goal setting. It's, it's based on a methodology called OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. It's the same methodology that Google and Amazon used. Um, uh, John Doerr uh, from Kleiner Perkins wrote about it in a book called Measure What Matters. As you know, I love to read. Um, so I'd actually been reading that book before I met Doug Dennerline, our CEO. And basically, uh, what we've done is combine those two capabilities, align clear, transparent goal setting with great coaching and development capabilities. So you can take today's workforce and make individuals and teams better and make them perform better, thereby driving better business outcomes and better results for your customers. So really, really powerful platform and right in line with what I'm most passionate about, which is coaching and teaching. So um, just a great uh, a great fit, and we're off to the races here. Yeah, you guys are. I mean, you're, the growth you're having is cool, and, and it's fun to watch how uh, this idea of helping people intentionally improve is something that people are getting behind and, and you're having. So tip of the cap to you, congrats on your success. Um, one of my other things I love to do before we get into talking shop, I love having people share their story just just quickly. How'd you get into sales, man? Did you find it? Did it find you? And how did that lead you to better works? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did not think I wanted to be in sales, you know, early <laughs> on. So funny story. So I went to college uh, at the University of Virginia, and uh, I, had a, I had a lot of jobs to help pay for college. 
So I actually bounced at a club where Dave Matthews got started. Um, really? You know, I, I cooked at the local bar and grill, a great place called the Biltmore, which is still there if you ever get nice. to Charlottesville. Uh, I didn't poison anybody, you know. The, 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 they didn't shut the place down owing to my cooking. And uh, as far as you know, I also sold. Yeah, I sold financial research for a group called SNL uh, Securities, SNL Financial, uh, and they did a boutique research shop. Um, I, you know, I cranked away. I was good enough at sales that they gave me a full time job after I graduated. But I didn't really know how to do it. Nobody had ever taught me how to do it. They just said, here's a phone, you know, go make calls. So I had no idea really what the core value of uh, what I was selling was. So, you know, I'd get lucky once in a while, um, but I wasn't really passionate about it. It was a grind. What I was really passionate about was teaching and coaching. Um, and my football coaches in high school were my father figures. Uh, I grew up in a, you know, single parent household. And, um, so I called my coaches up and I said, Hey, can I have a job? <laughs> and my football coach said, sure, if you come, uh, you know, come work for me, you can, uh, assist on the varsity team and you can coach the eighth grade team. Cool. Um, and I did. So I did substitute teaching and coaching and I loved it, man. I mean, the feeling that I got from watching a kid who at the beginning of the season couldn't even put his shoulder pads on the right way you know, in the last game of the season, rip off a, a, a sweep, cut it back under the pursuing linebackers, you know, and run it down the sideline all the way for a touchdown. That feeling, I'm literally getting chills as I'm describing that play to you because I can still see it in my mind. You're firing uh, me up right now that, as I hear it, man. I'm fired up right now. Oh, man, the impact that that had on uh, on that kid, you know, it was, it was, it was great. But what I realized that I missed about sales was the pure meritocracy. Because the beauty of sales was everybody's name at SNL was on the board, <laughs> and what your revenue was was on the board, and everybody knew the comp plan, so you could sort of mentally go, oh, geez, Rosemary's making more money than me again this month, you know, and, and it was so very simple, and there were no politics, and there was no tenure, and there was no, nobody could hang on and be a slug because they would get exposed. That's right. Very quick, right? So they might hang on for a little bit, and, but, so I loved that meritocracy, and I realized as I was wrapping up that season of coaching football that that's what I needed, that I had to have that in my life. Uh, and that's um, so I found my way back to sales. Love it. That's what a great story. I love that story. I relate to it. One of my favorite highlights of my uh, professional career was coaching a varsity basketball team. So I understand exactly what you're saying, man. Thank you for sharing that. So let's Let's get into it, man. We are two coaching junkies. I want to talk shop with yeah. you today, okay? We got a little bit of time, and it's going to be fun. Coaching shows up on the podcast all the time. People talk about the yeah. things that make for you know great sales teams, and we hear about culture. We hear about all kinds of things. Coaching almost always makes it in, but I want to focus our conversation around that, if that's okay today. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. You know, What do you think the state of the coaching world is right now in the business world and as it applies to sales or not, whatever your, your point of view is? I'm, I'm interested. What do you think the state of the coaching world is? Yeah, uh, listen, the way I would answer that is I, I, I think the intention is really good. And, the, and what I would say is the awareness and sort of sensitivity or, or sort of sensitivity to the need for great coaching uh, is as high as it's ever been. You know, I think that people, that companies and, and smart companies really do appreciate now that people are their most valuable assets, right? If you think about how fast the world is moving, how fast uh, competition is emerging and evolving, in order to keep up, you have to have great people uh, because that's the only way that you can possibly react and, and win in today's dynamic environment. Uh, so, but the, but the actually, how do you execute? How do you deliver on coaching? You know, how do you take the time when you're super busy to make time to coach and develop your people? How do you find the time to tailor coaching to not one size fits all, but actually tailor it to each individual and what they need and the style that they're going to respond to? That's really challenging. And, and I think that's where organizations um, need help. You know, I would agree with that. You know, when we started Exvoyant a few years ago, Shep, one of the things that I remember very clearly from three years ago 
was we might have a 30 minute meeting with someone or a one hour meeting with someone. And I swear to you, 60% of the time was around the case for coaching and why they should be thinking about it. And, and now we don't people, they are looking for it. They expect to do it. And it leads me to a study that we participated in with Keenan and the folks at Gong that you may or may not have seen. We talked to yeah. sales leaders around the world and we asked them, how good do you think you are at coaching? And 83% of them said that they were good. In fact, they self-identified as awesome. I'm awesome at it. And, and then we asked the reps that report to those managers. And they said 48% of the time, it never freaking happens. And when it does, only 13% of the time do they think it was helpful. So I have found there's this massive gap. Yes, they're aware it needs to happen. But the people on the other end, they're saying, okay, I'm glad you think you're good and I'm sure your mom is proud. But let me tell you, it ain't working for me right now. Do, do you see that coaching gap exist? Because I think it's, I think that coaching gap is alive and well. Yeah, listen, I think the only, the only, the only things that, uh, sort of bear out great coaching or prove great coaching are results and then the people who are being coached. You know, I think that anytime I find myself saying, Hey, I, I feel pretty strong. You know, I think I'm good at, I try to use that as a trigger to go, wait a minute. <laughs> you better get a third party opinion on that. Um, because. Human beings are just not good at, at sort of being self-aware and, and, and knowing um, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, um, I think it's easy to look out the window and hard to look in the mirror. And so let's talk about, about how, why that's the case. You know, as you're thinking about coaching and you're a coaching expert, you, you help companies around the world get good at coaching. You coach your own reps. You've been doing this with great success for a while. What do you think the most important thing to get right if you want to be great at coaching? If you want to be a good coach and if you want to have a good coaching culture and a good coaching system, what's the most important thing to get right? Wow. Uh, so I don't know if I can boil it down to two, to one thing, but I might be able to get it to two. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. And I think, I think that the first is uh, you've got to give a shit. Like you have to care really deeply and passionately about it. Uh, and it, it, it's got to be in every fiber of your being. Um, you know, I, I can say unequivocally the reason that I love the job that I'm in is as I moved through the ranks in sales and eventually got into sales management and sales leadership, I woke up one day and I went, holy crap, you know, I'm, I'm teaching and coaching. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that caring, where, where that caring comes from, in my opinion, is realizing the positive impact that, that it can have on uh, on your results, right? Because if you make your team actually better, right, and you let's say you make your team 10, 15% better at holding the line in a price negotiation, then your team's holding the line in the price negotiation even when you're not on the phone, right? Yeah. And so that discipline shows up in your results. Uh, it makes um, the people that work for you it can make their lives better. For sure. Right? As, as, I think a number of us uh, uh, out there have had the opportunity to work with somebody who maybe came from uh, less fortunate circumstances, weren't given, you know, sort of a easy, easy street. Uh, and if you can help coach an individual like that and help them change their life for the better uh, and eventually, you know, their kids' lives, it has a tremendous making somebody better and giving them a craft and making them masters or, or at least better at their craft. I don't know if any of us are masters. The moment we think we're masters, that's when we're that's when we're toast. That's uh, when you're dead, is, man. Uh, Call yourself a master and you're done, brother. Exactly, exactly. But that, uh, yeah, I, I think you got to care deeply about it, and you you got to realize the positive impact that it can have, both on your results, right, and hence your paycheck, uh, but also on the world around you. So, so I listened to you talk about got to give a shit, and I, and I think that's a really good number one. And so let's talk about a little bit about, because I think that at surface level, like I got 2,000 people listening to you right now that are walking their dog or on the treadmill or driving in traffic right now. And, and I'm trying to say, okay, so they're sitting on, on a train. They're like, I think I give a shit. And so like, yeah. well, like, how do you know? Like, what are we talking about? It's like, of course I want to be successful. I think that what you're saying is it's not just giving a shit about your success as a leader, but it's, it's the development and the success of those that you work that work with you and for you right is that is that what you're saying yeah it absolutely is it, you know one of the filters that i look for rob when i'm when i'm for example hiring for sales leaders to work with me uh is i look for people who care more about the success of the people who work for them than they do about their own success 
that they understand that their own success is an output or a symptom of caring deeply about the success of those working for them. And, and the crazy – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. no, I like what you're saying. Keep going. I was just going to say, I mean, the crazy thing, especially living here in the Bay Area, right, I mean, you could literally walk out of the door of my office and throw a rock and hit some hot startup that just got a massive Series A and has a, you know, barista in the lobby and, like, you know, the options to go places right now for for knowledge workers are are probably at an all-time high. Has to be. Uh, and and so the the concept of how do you differentiate yourself? What's the, what's your employer value proposition? You know, one thing I've found that is entirely within your control is how much you invest in your people and how deeply you care about making them better. And that actually creates this wonderful glue, this wonderful loyalty, where somebody goes, you know what? Like that barista, you know, that's pretty cool. Getting a free cappuccino every morning is pretty cool, but like. Here I'm getting invested in and I'm actually getting exposed. I'm getting given stretch assignments and I'm being supported along the way and I'm being coached and I'm actually making myself a more marketable, valuable asset. So I'm actually going to stay here. So so I think it can be very, very powerful towards building the right sort of culture uh, and the right sort of high-performing engine. But it has to be genuine, man. You can't fake it. Because yes. anything you're faking, you can't sustain. Yes. So you I'm glad you went there. That's that's where I was going to go, Shep, and I'm glad you said that because I think that's easy to say, hard to do. And I think that yeah. it's it's there's again 83% of managers they self-identify as I'm I'm freaking killer at this, I'm awesome, and 13% of the time they say no, you kind of suck at it, and I'm going to prove it because I'm going to be one of the 68% that's looking for a job. Shep, last year 26% of salespeople switched jobs in the United States. Uh, that's a lot. That's I mean a third of the sales team switched jobs. It's this I think it's a sales leadership crisis. And, and that's why I think it's super important for the leaders to now stop wherever you are and look in that mirror, like you said, said, am I really genuine? Because if I say I got to do a one-on-one, but maybe I'll miss this time because you're hitting your number or I'll leave you alone or whatever, that just sends a message that I, I'm not genuinely doing this for any other reason other than I got to get a number out of you for me, right? And we have to be genuine. I, I'm glad you brought that up. What are some ways that you can send a message to your people on your team that you are genuine about their development and their success, not just what you got to do to be successful as a leader? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, there's there's one in particular, Rob, that, that I learned the hard way. Is like, like most of my... <laughs> Those are always the best learning. lessons. The one you learn the hard way are the best lessons, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And I've learned a lot of them, man. I mean, you know, my <laughs> list of mistakes is long and proud. The um, so you know the first is um, you've got to adjust to them. You've got to coach them in a way that makes sense to them. One, one thing I did, like I'm so I'm passionate about teaching and coaching. For a number of years, I taught, I tutored uh, non-reading adults um, coming out of prison through a great program in the San Francisco Public Library. So and, cool. Um, one of the things you had to do in order to tutor non-reading adults is learn all about all these different learning styles, right? And there are 16 different learning styles. And, like, you start to get into the variety of the challenges of teaching just like a normal audience, not to mention an audience that maybe has been incarcerated or, you know, using drugs or what have you for a large portion of their adult life. Like, the challenges are immense because everybody communicates in a different way. You say a sentence to one person in a certain tone of voice, one person hears one thing and reacts a certain way, one he- person hears something different and reacts totally differently. And for me, I-, I approached that wrong initially. When I first got into management, being a former football coach, it was like, all right, like I need to motivate my team. I'm going to go out and buy Red Bull. I'm going to chest bump and, you know, s- smash elbows and, like, Rah, rah. And um, I had someone on my team uh, that I wasn't clicking with, and we had to come to Jesus. And what they said to me was basically like, stop your nonsensical football coaching bullshit. Like, this is not a football field. Like, that doesn't work for me. That is a big turnoff. And it was like, you know, this light dawning moment where it was like, oh, man, you mean like – and so I think if somebody's finding themselves saying, hey, I'm awesome, I'm an awesome coach, it's like, hey, look, like you, you should actually be a very different coach to different people. Uh, it would be one thing 
if you were coaching college football, right? You have one sort of small group of people that have self-selected a certain way. Even then, even then you got to vary it and mix it up a bit, but that's a pretty homogenous group. You, you're coaching a sales team that is going to consist of SDRs, solution engineers, enterprise field executives, emerging SMB or commercial folks. Like, you are going to have a variety of, of, of needs and in order to motivate and inspire and get people to learn, you got to you got to reflect that in um, in how you're coaching. I think that's genius. I, I I've been saying for years that individual people need individual pathways, and I think that's a really good thing. So as I listen to you, the word that I write down is adaptability. Is that is that a really important skill to develop as a leader? Then to say, am I really getting a, able to adapt to people's needs? I mean, I haven't had this yeah. conversation like this on the show yet. I mean, that's interesting. How important is that as a skill for it to be a good sales coach, a sales leader, to be adaptable? Yeah, I think I think adaptability is very very important. Um, what I would what I would balance that with, Rob, is the idea of um, there's there's adaptability within framework. And what I mean by that is another I think incredibly important element of coaching and leadership is consistency and clarity of communication, right? The, um, there's, there's a quote, I'm, I'm not going to do it justice, but it, it's from Larry Bossidy, uh, who is the CEO of Honeywell. And one of the things he said was, great leaders are signal repeaters. And you go out there and you communicate and you communicate and you say the same thing over and over and over again. And he actually got pretty graphic. He said, you, you, you repeat yourself to the point where you actually go into your hotel room and you throw up in the bathroom. And then you clean yourself up <laughs> and you come back out and you keep on communicating. And it's fascinating because I find myself where, you know, I, I'm like, okay, I'm a great communicator. I've been practiced this before. I've communicated this message to my team. And then somebody on my team is like, well, we never heard that before. <laughs> and, and you go, what? Wait. So, so you really have to be adaptable within a framework of consistency and clarity to say, okay, here's what we're driving for. Here's our end game. Now, how am I going to get Denise there versus Steven versus James? Hey, they're all going to get there different ways, and I'm going to be adaptable to understand how they learn, whether they respond to more of a rah-rah or quiet support and encouragement, right? But at the end of the day, what isn't adaptable or flexible is this is what we're aiming for, right? Things like we have a high-performance culture, and, and I'm going to work hard to adapt and, and my coaching style and help you get to that high performance level. At the end of the day, if you can't or won't get there, then there isn't a spot for you on the team, right? So adaptability doesn't mean, hey, everything goes out the door and everybody gets a trophy and it's a millennial hug fest, right? It, it, it's, hey, it's standards um, uh, and, and non-negotiables. But within that framework, uh, we're going to be very adaptable and flexible to uh, to encourage creativity and, and find the right way to get everybody there. That's awesome. So if the first thing that you got to get right if you want to be great at coaching is you got to give a shit, and a way to know that you're doing that is you're genuine, and the way you prove that you're genuine to your to your members of your team is you adapt to their style and their needs. I really like that. I really like that because I think there's far too much – pressure of hitting the number that leaders say, this is how we do things around here. You know, it's my way or the highway. Uh, this is what we do, you know, get on the train or get out the way. I think that this is really refreshing to hear you say, because you're not saying give cut people a break. What you're saying is find ways to connect with the way that they want to learn or process or be motivated or be inspired or whatever it is and give them that so they can raise their game in a way that they want to raise rather than they felt compelled to raise. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it, the one uh, <laughs> one of the learning styles that that we, that we talked about is um, there's there's a learning style called an oral learner. Okay, and that doesn't mean somebody who learns better, you know, by repeating themselves or talking. It's about 16% of the population actually learns better when they're chewing on something. Their really? sort of acuity, perception, concentration, duration, everything goes through the roof when you're chewing on something. And if you think about, like, you know, elementary school was the first thing that the teachers or the nuns told you to do. No gum in class. Gum. Yeah, no gum in no class. No gum in class, right? I'm an oral learner. 
You got gum right, in your mouth so right now? And, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, but this, this is an exciting topic. But I'll tell you what, man, if I'm doing my taxes or I'm, you know, cranking through, you know, CPS reports late at night, I got to have some sunflower seeds in or some gum or something. Right. Uh, so, it's, so it's just fascinating because I, when, when I, when I did that, it made me aware of like, oh, hey, I'm actually different, you know. Um, but I would say, you know, one, one thought, Rob, is, is one way to help leaders think about like how to actually get better at this is, you know, for me, it's practice, you know. Hmm. And there are a couple of tactical suggestions around practice. One, one thing that I do is, Anytime uh, that we have a coaching session, an enablement session, I actually like to make them optional. We call it optional but recommended. <laughs> and okay. so it's interesting. You know, initially you kind of go, well, don't all those things have to be mandatory? Um, it's really, really telling to see who makes those sessions a priority if you make things optional but recommended. Um, and, and you start to see this sort of uh, pattern of, of self-selection for people who say, yeah, I want to opt into, uh, into that um, coaching. That's super cool. Is, no, one, no one's ever told me about that before. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Shep. I, I yeah, wrote no, that ahead, down. Optional but recommended. And so you're talking about creating a culture of coaching. You're talking about having people say, I want to be part of the program. And that, that's cool. I've never heard of someone doing that. What are some of the benefits that come with this optional but recommended that you see help you build this coaching culture? Yeah, well, so one that one that happens is, you know, that like uh, 70% or whatever of, of folks who said they were awesome, if it's optional, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> By the second or third session, nobody's going to show up, right? Yeah. And so, so the, the one key benefit is it actually gives you a really good frame of reference on whether your content and your coaching is good or not. Love right? Um, so That's I think so that, that sort of heightened self-awareness is, uh, is, is one really valuable, uh, outcome. Love it. So what was your second one of giving a shit's number one? What's the second thing that's important to get right? Uh, the, well, so the, uh, going back to, um, going back to the original comments, I think it was understanding the positive impact that it can have. Oh, got it. Okay, great. So that was, so back to that. Got it. So those are two awesome ones. Understand the positive impact that, that they create and the work that they do, uh, making sure they understand that, which we didn't really talk about. I love that. Why is that so helpful? I, I want to make sure we explore that a little bit for our listeners. Why is it so important to make sure that, that your team members understand the impact that their work does? Yeah. Look, if, if you don't, then you don't have a mission, right? And yeah. it, the, there's sort of copious evidence that shows that people, one of the reasons people stay, one of the reasons people give extra effort is if they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Right. There's sort of a, if we get into sports and coaching, there are probably some prime examples. You could take a guy like Tom Brady on the Patriots, who I think was at one point like the 16th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Right. Like he understood there was something bigger than himself and that maximizing his salary earnings would actually have an adverse impact on, um, on the team. So that concept of saying, hey, there's a bigger mission, and apologies to any, you know, Patriots haters out there on the podcast for using that example. But there there are other other great examples. Shep, sports analogies are always allowed on our show, first of all. That's one of our first rules. And second, you know what? Like him or hate him, he's the greatest that's played that position. It's as simple as that. So. You know, I, 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 I'm one of those guys that, uh, that can only respect what that, what he and that team have done. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I think the, uh, oh, sorry. I was just no, going to wrap, wrap, wrap up it. With, it, yeah. with a quick thought. So, you know, what that mission does is, is it, it says, Hey, there's something out there that's bigger than ourselves and it allows folks to buy into it. Right. And, uh, the, the probably sort of real timely example right now, is the coach, um, I think his name's Fleck at uh, the University of Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah. Where he took yeah, yeah. over a really struggling program and he came up with this idea of, you know, row the boat. Like we were all going to grab an oar and row the boat. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the mission. It's something bigger than themselves. It's returning, you know, Michigan to sort of its glory days, uh, to Minnesota, Minnesota to its glory I'm days. And yeah, they're having a killer and, season uh, right now. They're, they're, they're awesome right now. 
they're having a killer season. They beat Penn State. And I think when this guy first started, you know, hammering that mantra, I think a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes and were like, good luck. You, you know, you're going to last, you know, one season just like everybody else. Um, and what it did is gave everybody a rallying cry, something to anchor on that was bigger than themselves, a mission that they could adhere to. I love that mission mentality. That's that's a really, really good thing to make sure is part of your blueprint. So we're going to make sure that they understand where their work fits so it drives the mission. We're going to, they're going to understand that the people that they work for really do care in a genuine way. I, I think those are two really good things to get right. Now I want to shift to the other side, Shep. I, I can't wait to get your answer to this one. I, 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 like, like I said, I, I'm super passionate about what we're talking about. I cannot wait to hear what you're, where you're going to go with this one. If those are two of the most important things to get right, what do you think the most common miss for most leaders is? As you look at sales teams, as you look at how your company helps organizations worldwide get good at coaching, what would you say one of the most common misses? And this may be another one where you say there's one or two or maybe three common misses. I don't, I don't know, but I'm interested. Yeah, I think the, uh, the for, for me, there are probably a couple of answers, you, you know, but I'm going to try to exclude sort of the obvious stuff like, if you have somebody who just doesn't care, you, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, I'm going to take this from an example of like, hey, people care, they're in tune with it, you know, but what uh, what can go wrong? Um, the first is a lack of self-awareness and the lack of a feedback loop to help you understand if stuff is working or not, right? That feedback that I got from, from the colleague who said, hey, that football style doesn't work for me, like that feedback was one of the most valuable things that, that I had because at that point, if you had surveyed me, I would have said I'm a pretty awesome coach, right? Yeah. And, and so self-awareness <clears throat> in some manner of being able to say, help me measure or understand if I really am good or having an impact is, is critical. I like that. Um, I think the uh, I think the other common mistake that happens is people end up uh, hiring and looking to coach people that are like them, <clears throat> and that's the easiest coach, right? Like I'm a football guy; it's easy for me to go out and look for other football people. I know they're wired the same way, and then I don't have to adjust my coaching style. Yep. One of my one of my favorite uh, books out there right now is "To Sell as Human" by Daniel Pink. So good. Um, and, you know, that he, he discusses this concept of an ambivert, right? Somebody who can actually be introverted or extroverted depending on what the situation demands. The point being, if you have the sort of classic salesperson who's extroverted and you send them into a room full of CIOs, like <laughs> the CIOs are going to kick them out, right? That's right. You need, you know, in, in many cases in an enterprise, complex enterprise sale, an introvert uh, works really, really, really well. Um, and, and the best combination of all is somebody who can adjust slightly and, and, and morph. Um, and so that concept of saying, hey, look, as I build my team, I'm actually going to deliberately seek out a diversity of backgrounds, perspectives, ideas, introverts, extroverts. And then what you end up with is this wonderful, rich fabric and what I would describe as like a, a rich gene pool. Uh, evolution and nature show us anytime you narrow the gene pool, you actually end up going extinct. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So don't, don't narrow the gene pool. Challenge yourself to say, hey, it's going to make my coaching and teaching more challenging because I'm going to have people from different walks of life, different perspectives, different backgrounds, athletes, non-athletes, but I'm, but I'm going to commit to, uh, you know, learning how to coach them and adjust my coaching style to reach all of them. Uh, but that fabric of diversity can be uh, really, really powerful. Oh, Shep, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, there's so much goodness happening in our world right now with people trying to have more diverse sales teams, diversity in a lot of different ways. And, and I'll be honest, I'm guilty as charged. I am guilty of narrowing the gene pool. I wrote that down. I've got a couple pages of notes from you already, man. And I have. I I like hiring former sports guys. I like hiring you know people that I – no will relate to my stupid way of doing things and will make it so I don't have to stretch and adapt. And I feel like I kind of, what I see is what I, yeah, that's really good advice to not narrow the gene pool and to intentionally try to create diversity 
um, in a lot of different ways. I, I, I think that that's really, really strong advice. Is there one other thing that you might suggest to our listeners that you try to avoid as you are working on your coaching game so you truly can be awesome? Yeah, try to try to avoid resting on your laurels. Uh, one, one, one of my most favorite learning moments, I was, I was in uh, Hawaii up on the North Shore. I was, I was young. I think I was still in college, and um, I, was, I was sitting at the bar <coughs> using my brother's ID. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. And having a beer. And, um, and this guy came in and sat down next to me, and, um, it, you know, the bartender or something had whispered to me that the guy was basically like a local surf legend. Hmm. I started talking to him, and I said, hey, so uh, when did you learn to surf? And the guy looks at me, and he goes, I'm still learning. Nice. <laughs> and it was just like, uh, you know, profound moment where it was like, wow, you know, and, and like he meant it, you know. And um, so I think that that concept of like it, the moment you hit pause and sort of go, hey, I've arrived, uh, is, is the moment that you stagnate. And the, the amount of learning that you can get from, you know, wonderful sources. Man, for me, nonprofits and volunteering has been incredible, right? The, I mentioned one experience with the non-reading adults of, tutored citizenship classes, you know, the exposure that you get outside of the office of, like, hey, what is it like to actually teach and coach is incredibly powerful. Um, the amount of reading out there, there's so many great books. I mentioned To Sell is Human. Another one for me is The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh, yeah. I mean, just absolutely amazing. The list goes on and on podcasts uh, like you're doing to help enrich the community, right? Taking some time to say, I've got to sharpen my ax. You know, what am I doing to sharpen my ax? If you're not sharpening your ax, um, then how can you possibly continue to coach and teach at a high level uh, and evolve and, and, and push your people to new heights? Um, you know what? So that, that is so be- well said. That is so well said. You know, my corollary, not corollary, my, I guess my the thing I would add to that, because uh, I love that. Shep, seriously, I love talking to you. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, I, I have found that the more you do, the more you can do. And, you know, like with our when I started our company, the product, the more it did, the more we were able to do. As an individual, you know, your capability, like the stronger you get, the, 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 the greater your capacity is. So with anything, same with your leadership and coaching skills, the more you do, the more you're going to be capable of doing because now you're like, it's like as a sales leader, as a sales coach, I found that a 5% increase in your star performers is worth more than a 15 to 20% increase from your average performers. And that's why I love that, man. The day you take yourself out of the learning journey is the day you just slit your own throat, right? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and, you know, hand in hand with that, what I would say as a, as a leader and a coach, I've got a great story. Do we have time for one more story? Yeah. One Hit more me with the story. story. Hit me with the story. This is perfect. All right. So, so the moral of this story is never, ever, ever settle or lower your expectations for your team. Set, set the expectations sky high. Um, because when you do, they will rise to it. And, and the story is, so uh, I played uh, lacrosse at, at my high school. Um, we had the lacrosse team struggled. We were a club team. We became a varsity sport my my senior year, and we were terrible. We were the you know absolute doormat. And the coach position was a revolving door. You know nobody would stick around for very long. And you know they tried to hire ex all Americans and guys who had coached at Army, and they tried everything, and nothing worked. And finally, the lacrosse coach quit, like, you know, and, and they were stuck, and they said, hey, um, they put word out to any teacher and said, we just need somebody to coach lacrosse. And this guy who had never coached lacrosse before and who had never actually played a sport, really, an organized sport, was like, I'll do it. And they didn't have anybody else, so they said, okay, go ahead and do it. Uh, he didn't know what to do, so he called a friend of his who was a coach at a local Division II college, and said, can you send me everything you have? And so he sent everything he had to uh, this coach. And the coach basically crossed out Springfield College and wrote Wellesley High School okay. on all the material. And so what it did was said to the players, hey, if you want to play bar- varsity, you need to be able to throw the ball off a wall 100 times in a minute with your strong hand 
80 times a minute with your weak hand, switch hands 60 times, you need to be able to run a mile and a half in, you know, five minutes or whatever the expectations were. They were actually expectations for Division II and a good Division II lacrosse school. Wow. Which were now being – and he handed them to the high school kids because he had no idea, no frame of reference that what he was asking was absolutely ludicrous, especially in a town which had been the doormat of a lacrosse league. And basically he said, hey, look, if you guys can't do these things, then you won't start. And the punchline is uh, when the spring rolled around, he had, he had enough to field a team uh, of kids who could do all those things. And basically within a couple of years, he brought them to the state championship. I love that story, dude. That is so awesome. Okay, so, so, keep, so how do we do that for expectations yeah. high. Yeah, do not set low bars, right? That's exactly right. All right, we're we're running low, man. We got a few minutes left, and it went by so fast. Shep. I knew it was going to go fast. I can't believe that we're running low. We finish every episode with a rapid fire section, three questions, uh, real quick. Yeah. And um, and I can't wait to get yours. You've already referenced a few things that are going to be here, but I want to start uh, with my first one: biggest sales leadership challenge that you've seen, and how do you beat it? Wow, biggest sales leadership challenge I've ever seen, I think, is uh, putting self-interest before your team's interest. Ooh, how do you beat uh, that? You, I, I think you beat it by uh, screening and hiring for uh, people that are coaches and teachers and lifelong learners uh, and really, really invested, you know, who, who take great pride in uh, helping others accomplish great things and rise to new challenges. That's a fantastic one. That we could have an episode. Next time we have you on, we'll have an episode just on that. <laughs> okay, second question. This is a this is a, one that our listeners have asked us to ask. It's it's become a fan favorite. We're actually going to have an ebook based on this answer. We got some great ones. Do you have a go to interview question or interview kind of concept that you want that helps you identify who you really want? There, is there something that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so for me, one of the most important things uh, is a growth mindset. I think when you have a growth mindset, uh, if you read that book, I, I forget her first name, I think it's Carol Dweck. Uh, if you have somebody with a growth mindset, then a lot of other things stem from that, like resilience, right, scrappiness, grittiness, innovation. Someone with a growth mindset is a wonderful, wonderful uh, asset on the sales team. And so one of the things I like to uh, get at is I like to get them talking about growing and learning. And sometimes it can be as simple as simply saying, hey, what, what do you really want to get out of this job? Because very often people will say, you know, well, in addition to, you know, whatever commercial success, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to take things to the next level. And I love to use that as an entree to say, okay, think about a time that you were growing and learning. Now, if you're comfortable, it doesn't have to be in the office, right? It could be outside of the office. Tell me about that time and tell me in particular what sort of emotions you were dealing with. And the wrong answer is, oh, man, there was a feeling of triumph and, you know, I learned this new thing and I success and I, you know, felt vindication and all that. Because for me, it's like, no, 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 no. That was after the learning and the growth happened. Ah. What is actually going through, what you're actually going through when you're growing and learning is self-doubt, terror, <laughs> <laughs> resentment, uh, questioning, uh, fear, <laughs> right? Like the, the emotions when you're actually growing and learning and stretching yourself and putting yourself outside your comfort zone and making mistakes, very, very different from the emotions after you've achieved some level of, you know, respectability, mastery, whatever you want to call it. Um, and someone who can understand that and embrace that, especially if you're talking about a high-growth startup, you know, you're going to be dealing with that. Hmm. And so it. having somebody who embraces that and says, those were actually like, I recognize those emotions as signs that I'm growing and learning and developing, that's super powerful. I love that. That's a new one too. No one's given us that one. So the, you're two for two, man. I love, I love where you're going. Here's the last one. Okay. Leaders are, leaders are readers. We found that the great leaders are what, exactly what you said. They never quit the leadership journey, the, the, the learning journey. Uh, I don't care if it's turning pages or blogs you read. Is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners on a book or two or something that you would recommend they ought to be getting their hands on or their eyeballs on uh, so they can make that part of what uh, is driving them? 
Hey, listen, first serious offer if somebody really wants the full list, because I got a whole list. All right. <laughs> I got a, I got a list of attributes I hire for, and I got a list of, of books that I think are awesome for sales and sales leadership. So you can email me at chef at betterworks.com. Be happy to share the list with you. Uh, there, there are a handful, uh, that I think are really, uh, fantastic. One, which is a little off the beaten path, is the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. No one okay. has said that one either. You're three for three, dude. <laughs> Non-standard. The reason it's so powerful is he spent a lot of time talking about influence. Okay. And one of the things he says is when he was a young man, he thought the best way to influence and, and sort of have impact and influence was to win every argument and every debate. And and he was the smartest guy in the room, right? The guy was like a you know once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-history genius. So he could destroy anybody in the debate. What he realized is he said, by the time I grew older, I realized that the time I was most effective was when nobody remembered I was in the room. Wow. That's deep. Deep thoughts with Shep Meyer. <laughs> so there you, there you go. That That's just one. But like I said, I got a laundry list of, of, of faves. Uh, so if anybody wants to uh, have them reach out, I'd be happy to share the longer list. And we'll make sure that I reinforce that in the so what section at the end that I do. And we'll we'll make sure that I hope you get hammered with requests for it, dude. Listen, Shep, <laughs> how do people get more of you? If they want to learn more about BetterWorks, if they just want to connect with you and, and be fortunate as I am to have you as a connection, how, you know, if they want to continue a conversation, how do they do that? Yeah, please reach out to me. It's Shep at BetterWorks.com, uh, and uh, give me give me a little time. I'm not, you know, I do have a day job. I got numbers to deliver for for my CEO on the board, uh, and I got a team to coach. Uh, so I may not be able to get back to you, Johnny, on the spot. But uh, if you give me some time, uh, I will get back to you. I'm, I'm passionate about trying to help. So if I if I can help you, I will. All right. He refuses to narrow the gene pool. He's never stopped learning. He has no limits on his team. And above all, this man is connected to the mission. Shep Meyer, Better Works. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Happy selling to you. Rob, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and a real honor. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? I hope you loved having Shep on. Shep's, man, he's done some good stuff. If you get to know Shep and you look at his his body of work, he's a fantastic sales leader. He has really good, well-founded points of view, and I'm glad we had him on to talk shop. And there's so many things. I loved how he started with, he just really pointed out that the awareness of the importance of coaching is probably at an all-time high, but the skill around it is still not where it needs to be. And particularly in the ability to create and tailor individual plans for individual people, I like how early in the episode he points out that's where it breaks down. And and part of what you need to do is make time consistently. One of the first problems is we just don't make enough time. And and when, when I asked him, you know, what do you have to say about this idea that most sales managers think they're good at it because they talk about it, he, he made a really good point that I think everyone should think about that's a sales leader. And it's this, when you think that you hear yourself saying, hey, I'm pretty good at this, or I'm a master, or I got this, that's when you need to get a third-party opinion, and you better get someone to check yourself. Um, I liked how I said it's time to get a third opinion on that, because I I think that our self-awareness often leads us into traps. And so when you start to look at what Shep says is something that will give you the building blocks for good coaching in a world where good coaching is kind of an anomaly, I love what he said it starts with, this concept of do you give a shit? And so you ought to ask yourself, I think, as you're as you're thinking about is my coaching approach as good as I want it to be? Is it as good as I think it should be? Do we really, and I mean genuinely, care about those we lead? Right? I know you don't want bad things for them. I know you would rather have good things happen to your team. But is your focus really on helping them get better? And, you know, seriously, you should ask yourself, how do you show members of your team that you are really driven by their success? Not your success, but their individual victories. You know, this is a lot more than just having perks, having the cool office perks. 
if you can have someone really realize that the number one perk of working on your team or at your company is you'll help them improve faster or more or farther than any other place they could go, that's going to be the thing that gets you the greatest yield. That's going to be the thing that has them staying with you forever. And so I want to I, I want to kind of give you a couple things to think about as you ask yourself how how am I doing in the state of the coaching world for me and my team. And I think that the best thing we can ask ourselves is how aware are we of their struggles? How aware are we of what they're doing with their struggles? Because this is how you can really adjust to people in ways that matter to them. Everybody does not have the same struggle. So if we aren't helping people work on unique struggles that are unique to them, we are letting them down. You know, I think we learn way more when we do and when we fight through. Here's an example. You can tell a child not to touch a hot stove, and they might take you at face value, and they may just say, hey, I've been told not to touch the hot stove, so I guess I won't. Um, they may choose to never touch a hot plate. But the child that touches the hot stove and learns why you told them not to, that's the one that never forgets. So if we can connect to those struggles and help them acknowledge them, understand them, learn from them, and then have a, a blueprint for how to not get in that spot ever again, I think that's the way that we can demonstrate that we care because we're aware. And and I think that's really a good lesson for each of us. You know, the only way we can demonstrate we care is if we are aware. Um, the other thing that I thought that Shep brought up that was really, really cool was he has this idea of making coaching sessions optional but recommended and encouraged. Ask yourself, if your one-on-ones were optional, how many of your people would come? That'll give you really good insight to how strategic they are. That'll give you really insight to how helpful they are. You know, and, and maybe the thing I would add to that, and I'm speaking on this this week at Dreamforce with a great, fantastic leader from uh, Waste Management Corporation. Are they coming to the one-on-one with suggestions and things they want to talk to you about? Things that they want you to be aware of that are their struggles. Because if they're not bringing things to you, then that's a pretty good indicator that they don't find you very helpful. So thanks to Shep. This was a fantastic episode. I loved Shep's perspective. If you can be, make sure that you listen to this and it makes you more genuine in your authenticity and care for them. And if you can use this to help you create the kind of one-on-one that not only do they thank you for, but they will never let you miss, you're well on your way to being a legendary leader. So with that, I want to thank Shep for joining us. Uh, Make sure you connect with him. Make sure you reach out to him. He's a great guy to know. He's a terrific, terrific sales leader. And as always, please, please, please get on iTunes and rate the show. That's the fastest way for other people to find us. Um, thanks to those of you that have been giving us other great guests that we should be reaching out to. I, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. We have some terrific guests coming up. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.